Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. It's time to attention and I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Conference season is upon us already and Theresa May is on some kind of charm offensive but judging by the way the Tories are fighting like ferrets in a sack it ain't going to go very smoothly. While the Lib Dems drink herbal tea with Manuka honey down in Brighton cabinet ministers and their aides are busy briefing against each other and poisoning the well. So Brexit might be happening uh, but nobody's got any agreement about it at all. Meanwhile in the real world the latest scare story about Brexit causing a collapse of property prices is sending homeowners hysterical with warnings of re- possessions, negative equity and unaffordable mortgages. 0344 499 1000. Are you worried? Coming up later on, uh, we're asking why people are taking so much cash out of bank machines on their credit cards and how much longer can we continue to live beyond our means? 0344 499 1000. Also, it's London Fashion Week and it's just not, not just about how much money Victoria Beckham's company loses every day. I'm going to be asking you the question, how on earth in this Me Too decade in which we find ourselves, can London Fashion Week even go ahead? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, it's six months until Brexit, apparently. Uh, what day could be better than this to have uh, Katie Perry back? Katie, very good morning. Morning. And you've been a star of uh, TV and screen over the weekend, have you not? Oh, it's been a busy time. It has been a busy time because, of course, everybody wants to know what is going on inside the mind of Theresa May. What is going on inside Checkers uh, when she's watching The Chase with Hubby? What on earth is she thinking putting out Rock uh, and a roll, sort of documentary it? about, uh, you know, how she sits around in this rather sort of austere looking living room laughing hysterically at a show which isn't funny yeah I know it's really really hard to kind of get that right and I know what people have tried to do at number 10 they try to kind of you know show that there is a woman behind the speeches and a big you know Yabu of politics and but you know she has a very kind of regular normal life she does nothing kind of you know electric yeah. about what she does no so you're always going to be disappointed when oh, you to see be honest I don't think we ever it. thought there was though did we no no I probably not but uh, you know, look look back over the last few weeks. Probably the thing that's done her the most good is the Afri- the dancing in yeah, Africa. Yeah. Just because people thought, you know what? You just thought, what the hell? You know, I know I can't dance very well. I know I'm out of tune, whatever it might be. But I'm human. I'm enjoying myself, and you can all go stuff it. Yeah. And a lot of people thought, good on you, love. Good and on also, you, when she made, back to made fun of herself by putting out that uh, strictly oh, that's tweet, a brilliant tweet, which was very funny. For yeah, for people that missed that, she basically said. Something along the lines of, uh, you know, on the opening day of Strictly, she said, you know, if you want any tips, get in touch. Yeah. And that was just genius. It was. And I know that that's a team that does that around here and everything. But, you know, they're trying to show that, that the woman behind uh, this kind of, you know, quite serious subjects as, as such as Brexit 
and show that you know she's just a regular kind of person who wants to do regular things she wants to they like watching quiz shows they always have done and they invite the cameras in mm. it's not going to be electric for anyone you're all going to be disappointed if you're going to think you're going to see well, something true. other than but meanwhile of course the, 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 the sort of the low hum which is now gathering a bit of uh, pace mm. is, is behind in the background and it's the cabinet ministers who are all feuding with each other and briefing against each other uh, we saw uh, a tweet over the weekend by one of the uh, sort of junior sort of members of the gov- government I suppose Mr Mercer saying that you know people are briefing against each other all the time Dominic Raab seems to be getting it in the neck everybody's making fun of him you know what is going on there why shouldn't she, shouldn't she be spending more time sorting that out I thought it was extraordinary really to, to read some kind of stories in the Sunday papers this weekend in the last few days whereby uh, it was announced that you know at, at dinners at number 10 that senior members of staff like people that you know like me that used to work there would have members of the of the government in MPs in to talk to them about how the Brexit negotiations were going, and they were openly criticising members of their own cabinet. Now, if you're trying to show, kind of put on a show of unity, and you're trying to put on something that shows that you know what we know what we're doing, yeah. like turning it into kind of you know a whinge fest about the people that you work with isn't clever, isn't big, and it isn't clever. And so I think that there's a, you know there there is a lot they need to learn. From you know, retaining the upper hand, Theresa May would not like any of this talk, because she'd probably turn around to her team and say, "Enough! I don't want you bitching about my my, my cabinet colleagues. Mm. Not acceptable. Yeah. Not needed. Just get on with the job. That's what I do. I don't." Theresa May never ever gossips about right. other people ever. Okay. All right. Let's talk to John Craig from Sky. Of course, uh, he's a man in the know. He spends an awful lot of time in the company of Theresa May and in Downing Street as well. Of course, John. Uh, a very good morning and welcome. Hi, John. Morning, Mike. Morning, Katie. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, I mean, it's it's easy meat, isn't it, I suppose, for for the likes of you and I to, to sort of poke a bit of fun at Theresa May. Uh, but there is a more serious aspect to all of this. You know, she is on a charm offensive, but nobody else in the party seems to be very charming at the moment. No. Personally, I don't know why she invited the likes of Peter Bone and um, that little Andrew Bridgen to uh, dinner in Downing Street or why uh, Robbie Gibb, her... Uh, community Gavin Barwell, the uh, chief of staff. Waste of time, as Peter Bone said. I'm only here for the food, and we know that Andrew Bridgen is one of the ones who wants to go. Yeah, I'm wondering what to persuade. You have to wonder why uh, you would invite them in in the first place, as you said, because nothing can be gained from trying to, uh, you know, win over support from those kind of people. You're never well, going to uh, win over people. You're real critics, are you? Andrew Bridges has publicly said that he's already written his letter to the chairman of the 1922 committee uh, for confidence in her. Um, she's got a tough task. The party is pretty ungovernable. Uh, they're split uh, hopelessly on Brexit. There are those who are reluctantly uh, going along with her checkers plan, uh, hoping that uh, she'll get the European leaders and Michel Barnier. But then there's the big campaign to chuck checkers being led by Boris Johnson, who's had yet another blast in the uh, Daily Telegraph in his column today. He's led the paper the last three Mondays now with the tax on checkers. Last week it was all about uh, tax cuts, but today he's back to attacking the Prime Minister on checkers. But he hasn't, yeah, but he hasn't, he hasn't made much of an inroad, I'm afraid. Just ha- stay where you are, uh, John. We're going to try and get a better line because we're uh, we're breaking up a little bit there. I mean, he's right in what he says about Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson has been uh, sort of gadflying it around, hasn't he? Trying to make a big splash one day, trying to give a big interview the next day, writing another column the next day. But as I've been, I've been saying, I think I said this to you this time last week, after a while, people will get fed up with that, won't they? Well, there is a little bit about the fact that, you know, what kind of power do you wield other than, you know, the one on your pen in terms of constant 
constantly writing these words where you don't ever have to be proved to, to be able to deliver some of these things. So it's easy for people on the sidelines. You know what? When I go to the school gates uh, and I speak to the school mums, they don't ever say to me, get rid of that, Theresa May. Useless, horrible. We need a new replacement prime minister. Do you know what they really say? They say, oh, you're lot. You know, all they do is, is row and navel gaze yeah. and just have it, you know, have a go at each other. And I think that what Boris is doing is is kind of you know, reiterating that in people's minds that they think that the Conservative Party is at war with each other and constantly out to do each other in. Yeah. Um, and I but think that, that is the sense that you get, isn't it? It is the sense that you get. And of course, Monday, they're getting their money's worth out of the Telegraph. They're paying him, you know, probably close to 300 grand a year. For yeah, well, they, you say, I mean, that's not they're what I call... Money's worth. That's not what I call, say, call uh, getting my money's worth. But I think John's back. Let's see if he's got a slightly better line. John, hi. Welcome back. I'm on a landline now. Oh, is excellent. That, that is much excellent. better. Absolutely well played. Good. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying that... Uh, you know, the image of the Tories constantly sort of tearing each other apart uh, is, is an old image and one that's been around for a long time. But it doesn't go away. And there's a reason it doesn't go away, because actually that's what's happening. Because they're hopelessly yeah. split on Europe, have been since the 90s. Yeah. I mean, what's happening with Theresa May now is similar to what happened with uh, uh, John Major in the, 90, the mid-90s. You remember that he eventually got fed up with it all and told them all to put up or shut up. Mm. Well, Michael Portillo didn't put up, but John Redwood did. And uh, Mr. Major saw them off. Although, of course, a couple of years later, he went down to a huge defeat by Tony Blair in the uh, 97 general election. Mm. Um, There is... I have this hunch that Theresa May will try and battle it out, and she might cling on uh, in a similar way that John Major did. There's no obvious... Apart from Boris Johnson, who obviously has been campaigning for the job for the past few years, uh, there's no obvious challenger... Uh, and there's no obvious successor that they can agree on. And, of course, a lot of Tory MPs, especially after the uh, events of the last couple of weeks, loathe Boris and do, will do everything they can to make sure he's not one of the two candidates who are put to a ballot of the members. So do you think there's going to come a crunch time, John, within the Conservative Party, whereby she will have one of these moments where she says, you know what, you want to try and get rid of me? Fine. You've probably got the 48 MPs that's needed to get rid of me, but you haven't got the 158 that needs to get me out of office, and I'm going nowhere fast. Yeah, she could do what John Major did back in 1995. I remember we were all called into the Rose Garden of number 10. I think I was working for the Daily Express at the time. And as soon as John Major began, his opening remarks were something like, you know, I joined the Conservative Party at 16. You just knew what he was going to announce, uh, that he was going to uh, uh, let the challengers have a go at him. Um, she could do that, certainly. I, I agree with you about the numbers. They might be able to force a vote, but I don't think they've got the uh, majority of Conservative MPs to get rid of her, unless, of course, the party establishment all decide that they wanted to back someone else like, I don't know, Sajid Javid, for example. Um, but at the moment, I, I think the things are going the way they did in the 90s. She's the John Major of, the, the, uh, of, the de- of this, this age, uh, and she's trying to battle against them all. She's got some loyalty in her cabinet um, in, in the way that Major had people like Heseltine and Ken Clark. You know, she's got uh, Philip Hammond, despite the... I'm not sure he's being terribly helpful at the moment with some of the things he's doing. But she does have some support in the Cabinet, even though there are a few, of course, around the Cabinet table who would like her job. I'm not sure Michael Gove was terribly helpful yesterday when he, he said something like the Chequers deal for now or something like that in a television interview. You can always change it at the next Prime Minister, yeah. didn't he? 
Say something yes, along those lines. Yeah, yeah, well, the next prime minister get on a lot better with the EU. But I mean, that's the other problem, John. Is that we, you know, we're in danger of sort of falling into the well of despair here, talking about how popular certain politicians are. The problem is, all politicians at the moment, as far as the general public are concerned, are extremely unpopular. I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there on the streets of L- London or Manchester or Liverpool or Glasgow or even Belfast who thinks they're doing a good job. No, that's right. All the polls suggest that. They've all got terrible ratings. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn's have slumped during the summer because of the anti-Semitism row. I mean, it's, it's similar, actually, in the Labour Party. There's no obvious successor on the left to Mr, uh, Mr. Corbyn because John McDonald's roughly the same age now, and uh, I think he's had a couple of heart attacks. And uh, although there was a suggestion that uh, Mr. McDonald's supporters were uh, losing confidence in Mr. Uh, Corbyn over the weekend... But, you know, the party, I mean, you look at all the political parties, uh, the, the party leaders are all having a, a bad, bad polling, bad press, bad relations with their own party. I mean, Vince Cable down in Brighton this week at the Lib Dems conference, well, he just seems to be blundering along and saying sillier things by the day. Um, they seem to be talking about changing their leader. Um, but uh, as I say, I come back to the point. I do think that uh, what Theresa May does have is resilience, and I think she's, she's tough. I remember talking to David Cameron after he left Downing Street, and he said one thing about Theresa May is that she's tough. And I think she, she won't give up. She might do what Major did and say, OK, you lot, if you want to challenge me, challenge me. Uh, but I don't think she'll walk away. She wants to see Brexit through. I mean, it's about six months now until uh, the Brexit date in, in March 2019. So um, you, you talked about conference just quickly there, John. Theresa May is going to face her conference uh, audience again this time round in, in a fortnight's time. Now, last year we thought it was going to be her last conference. The set fell, fell down behind her. She lost her voice. She looked like you know she would be in the office a few more months and that would be it. And here she is, as you say, resilient, yep. back again. What does she need to do to, to, to have a successful conference this time round? Well, avoid disasters like last year for a start. Um, she's uh, nail everything gone. down. Sorry? <laughs> Nail everything down. Yeah, quite. Including the cabinet minister. Boris Johnson. Yeah. Um, but she, she's got to try and sell her checkers deal. And also, she's got to try and show the party that she has got, there's more to the Tories than just Brexit. I mean, we, we've learned there's some stories in the papers today about how she's asked cabinet ministers to come up with ideas for the next Queen's speech, which, of course, is next July, which right. suggests that uh, she still expects to be there then, uh, in uh, what, less, almost a year's time. Um, She's giving every impression that she's in it for the long haul, but of course uh, they are a mutinous bunch, those Tory backbenchers. Can I just make a plug for a, a Sky News campaign? You certainly can. I was going to ask you about it anyway, but you go ahead. Away, then. Now it's going to sound more like a plug because you just said the word <laughs> plug. Um, yeah, what is it that you want to plug, John? <laughs> <laughs> Mind you. The BBC plug their own programme. Well, of course well, they get do. get on with it. Yeah, they do. That's okay, absolutely right. a campaign to uh, set up something called a Leaders' Debate Commission, right. an independent commission to organise the running of TV uh, election debates, um, because uh, you'll recall, while we had them in 2010, uh, it all broke down in 2015, in 2017. There weren't proper debates between the leaders. So we're calling for a Leaders' Debate Commission. I've written about it on the Sky News website. Adam Bolton's written about it in The Times. Um, Setting the format and rules, handling moderation, outlining criteria for uh, the participation, ensuring the objectivity of the audience, very important, 
and steering the negotiations. So, yeah. Well, uh, last we like time the problems, the problems like, that we'd like to have some radio debates as well, Mike. We may well do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always up for a radio debate, and what I'm not up for is a Twitter debate. There's loads of people trying to twi- <laughs> debate me on Twitter at the moment, which I'm not doing. Uh, but here's the thing: the problems last time were all around whether or not certain individuals would stand on the same platform as certain other individuals. I mean, are you confident that that you're going to make that work this time? Well, we hope so. Yes, it was probably all Katy Perry's fault, actually. Probably, yeah. No What's comment. Your response, Katy. Uh, I think it's a very good idea, and I actually think that Theresa May um, lost out by not participating in some of the major debates last time round. Now, she did some of them, but do you remember Amber Rudd stood in for her at one occasion, and she got so much flack for that, and people said, hold on a minute, you called a de- you called an election, and then you're not willing to fight it out in front of me? Yeah. You know, that, that, that just went very, very wrong for her. So I think rather than having all this kind of go back and forth, back and forth, I think just, just to have an agreement, it's going to be done. Yeah, Amber Rudd is now backing the campaign. Uh, you, yes, you're right. I remember it was the debate up in Cambridge. I remember going to it. And her father had died two days earlier, and yet she still uh, performed in that debate. Yes, yeah, she was and, great. Um, and, uh, and she's very much backing the campaign, as is Nick, now Sir Nick Clegg, who, of course, some people believe was the star of the 2010 debates. Um, so we're hoping uh, we can get off the, this off the ground. And, uh, well, we think TV debates are a good thing. And it's amazing how little the public <clears throat> hear from their leaders Really, it's a snapshot here. It's a quick yeah. question here. Right. It's a thirty-second yeah, soundbite. Yeah, but I'm not sure. Here. I mean, That's I'm all for, I'm, listen. I'm, not, I'm all for the idea, John. I'm all for the debate. Um, when you have a debate with so many people on it, that their answers are yeah. so short that you can't judge really anything about them. Yes. Never I mean, mind uh, have what a they actually contest believe in. Thing. Have I mean, a knockout really, round. You should really do it in a U- American style with no more than three people, shouldn't you? Yeah, there were de- some debates with seven people taking part. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Time. I mean, the only memorable TV moment, going back to the PM and. Uh, her home life with Philip, her husband. Uh, do you remember that rather cringing interview she did where she and Philip talked about boy, girls... And yeah, the girls one show. Boy, yeah. boy jobs and girl jobs, wasn't it? Putting and the bins Philip out. Puts the bins out. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but you see, that to me, that's where you do, you do find out the real I stuff. I thought it was quite Because cute, they're, they're unguarded and you, you never know whether that does more for them. Do you think she's heaving a bit of a sigh of relief after reading the Ruth Davidson um, interview in the Sunday Times at the weekend in which she declared that she would never want to be leader of the Tory party? Well, I, I don't think Ruth Davidson is a threat to Theresa May. I mean, she has... I was quite surprised to read that, actually. Yeah. It was very, that was a very... Uh, Fascinating interview. ...candid yeah. interview about her personal life and so on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Ruth Davidson has always said she wants to fight the next elections to the Scottish Parliament first. Mm. Um, but um, and I think it's a bloke. I'm quite a Ruth Davidson fan. I remember me the Tory conference last year on the Sunday afternoon... Um, there were a lot of rather flat speeches from middle-aged men in the cabinet. And then she came on and made a brilliant speech and absolutely electrified the conference. I think she's got star quality. Um, and I, I thought that once the Scottish elections were out of the way, uh, she might, um, assuming the ne- next elections after that, uh, come and f- uh, either fight a Scottish seat or... I mean, there was a lot of talk of her taking over Nick Soames' seat down in Sussex at right. one point. Mm. Um, but uh, it seems to me that, uh, she, you know, she, she's clearly, I mean, she's having this child's IVF at the moment, or about to, mm. um, and she's clearly, it looks as though her personal priorities have changed a bit, more family life and less, you know, going for the big time. I think a lot of Tories will be very disappointed by what she said in that interview. Mm, I think so too. One final question, John, because we're running a bit short of time. And what are you expecting at the Tory party conference? Is it going to be sort of blood on the carpet type time, or is it going to be let's all hold hands together uh, and sing Jerusalem? Well, of course, there's this big rally that Boris Johnson is uh, planning to stage <laughs> the day before uh, the Prime Minister's speech. 
Um, I mean, he's got rock star status with a lot of Tory activists. Um, and, uh, he, you know, he will, uh, he will have his supporters as well as his detractors. So it's, it will be a bit of a beauty contest, I guess. We'll be looking at the speeches of people like Sajid Javid as well, who's more and more looking like a potential leadership candidate. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, it's Theresa V. Boris, really, the big showdown. He, him, he's making a big speech. I think it's in the Symphony Hall. And then the leader's speech as well. So, uh, I mean, it, after last year, it can't possibly be as bad for Theresa May this year as last year, can it? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. But, I take uh, it from your chuckle but, that uh, it could. Boris, Boris Johnson is out to make trouble, and he will make trouble. I predict that. No, Boris indeed. Johnson, the Pied Piper of Birmingham. Yeah, quite. John, thanks very much indeed. John Craig from Sky Television. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Not only is it conference season, not only are the Lib Dems, you know, hashing it up down in Brighton and having all sorts of fun with their um, herbal tea parties, uh, but also it's London Fashion Week. Now, this passed me by this year. Normally, I'm right on top of London Fashion Week. I normally know exactly when it's going to be. Yeah, well, you know, you you may be surprised to hear this, but I was for a very long period of time in the United States of America, uh, the uh, style uh, magazine for the Sunday Times is correspondent, right? And I used to go to a lot of fashion events, funnily enough. Wow. Um, okay, and, I'll take uh, that back. Yeah, well, there you go, you see. I'm in many you parts. I many suits that were very, very expensive. I did buy many suits that were very, very expensive. But, you know, fashion, uh, the fashion capital of the world for a long time, and I don't know whether our next guest, Simon Glazen, is going uh, to say yes to this, but New York was the centre of fashion for a while. And normally it was the New York Fashion Week first, and then London Fashion Week, and then Paris, right? So I don't know why I didn't notice New York starting last week. I didn't notice it. Do you think we've kind of lost interest It a could bit? be. Well, I'm going to ask the question, how is it possible in this day and age that London Fashion Week as an entity can even exist? I mean, we've heard about the Me Too campaigns. We've heard about the film business being outed for being a terrible place for young women and sometimes young men to be. Um, you know, the fashion world is even worse, isn't it? I, I, you very much used to be. You used to hear all these stories. Uh, you know, Kate Moss would say that I wouldn't want my daughter to go yeah. into modelling Well, she now. said just last week yeah. that, you know, she was forced to kind of go topless a lot of the time. At the she age didn't of really 15 want to. or 16, yeah. you know, yeah. that can't be right, can it? It can't be, can it? But let's talk to Simon and find out. I don't wish to put a damper on, on, on the week, Simon, but it is quite surprising, isn't it, that London Fashion Week still exists? Um, I, I really, yeah, kind of. I think that um, with, I think you're kind of um, confusing the actual catwalks with um, editorial photo shoots because I think a lot of the stuff that came out with Tate Moss and 
um, Jürgen Teller and all those massive photographers was very much kind of um, behind the camera and it was to do with editorials and big photo shoots. Whereas the catwalk, I agree that um, the size zero model still goes on, it still happens. But I kind of feel like it's, it's kind of a bit of a different entity. But uh, Fashion Week is very much meant for buyers to come over and see the collections, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, but it's still, still lots and lots of, you know, young women walking up and down, prancing around like a meat market uh, on, a, on a runway. Well, I, Isn't yes it? and no. I th- as I said, like, I think for buyers and international press, I think that's kind of like what they want to... They, they basically need to see a collection on a model to see how it's going to... Um, see how it's going to wear, see how it's going to look, see how it's going to feel. That You know, all those kind of things have to be taken into account. But I absolutely agree that something needs to be done with the um, kind of the colour of models that are used. And I think that um, Victoria Beckham, for instance, used kind of old models on her catwalk. And I know that there's a designer in New York called Chris, um, Christian Siriano, who actually won Project Runway a few years ago. But he uses plus-size models all the time. And his praise for it, because I think that's kind of what people want to see, especially in the UK, when the average size is between a 14 and 16. I think we need to kind of like accommodate that kind of. Although um, I must admit, I saw that uh, that tweet uh, that went viral or the video that went viral of that very large supermodel um, eating and beating a load of ice cream out of a tub or something. I wasn't too keen on that, to be honest. No, there was a whole thing, wasn't there? Um, It was Glamour magazine in the US who put... um, uh, Tess Holiday, who's one of the, you know, she's a plus size model, um, and it kind of went off. I think Piers uh, Morgan was talking about it. I think everyone's been talking about it. Um, but I do think we need to kind of still be aware that in this country, for sure, um, the average size is between 14 and 16, and that isn't really considered not to be plus size. That is just like curvy. So I think for models, for, for that not to translate onto a catwalk is a bit out of touch now. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh- I've often thought, thought that the first brand, major brand, that comes out with a size 15 is going to literally sell out of every item they make. <laughs> is this, why is that such a mad idea? I, I don't think it's a mad idea at all. I think there's lots of um, menswear brands that are doing it between sizes, and I think that's a great idea. Um, I think that I think it's just basically fashion is a, tra- a very a traditional um, industry, so everything is traditional in it. The photo shoots, the models, the catwalk, the production, everything is the kind exploitation. Of like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all kind of like in in one. But I think we can talk about any industry, and we can talk about exploitation in any industry. No, come it off it, Simon. It, it doesn't make come it okay. off it. No, but it the point is, the fashion okay. industry has for such a long time been out there on its own. I mean, all you've got to do is talk to any of the models about what it was like when they were younger. You know, the kind of parties they attended, the kind of uh, propositions that were made to them. You know, it may have cleaned up its act slightly, but I'm just very surprised that we haven't had more kind of Me Too tales coming out. I, I think, to be honest, um, as I said before, I think a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we hear about is on photo shoots with big photographers who basically yeah, but it's the same business in the though. world. It's the same well, it's business. The same isn't business, it? but it, but for instance, I was backstage at a Julia McDonald show the other day for Fashion Week, and it is completely it's like a party zone. It's not particularly it's not CD, it's not um, it's nothing like that at all backstage at a fashion show. Obviously I don't know what these models get up to but I think a lot um, uh, a fashion show is kind of um, again it's for the international buyers, that's, that's what it's for but I don't think there's as much going on behind the scenes as 
um, there is with photo shoots and big photographers like we've seen. We've seen so we've heard so many stories. Photographers are out of work now because of what they've done, and yeah. so they should. Right. But I think I do still think the Fashion Week has a big place in the industry because. Oh. Uh, well, actually, now it's very much focused around bloggers and street style, which is a bit of a shame um, because when I first started going um, nearly a decade ago, it was all about buyers and international press coming to see new collections. Is what that's what we want to see? That's what we want to hear about, not particularly all the other seedy stuff. Um, and how's London doing in terms of the international recognition? We know, in fact, we don't know. We need to learn more about how much our fashion industry is worth, GDP, in terms of you know the UK uh, exports power. Uh, fashion is, is right up there, isn't it, in terms of brand names? How are we doing on the world stage in terms in competition to others? Um, do you know what I think? Um, I think we're lucky to have one of the best high streets in the world, and I think that helps. Um, I've been kind of to a lot of countries that have awful high streets, but ours, ours is doing, uh, uh, even though lots of brands are closing down, I think the um, the main players and actually the fast fashion players, people like Primark and um, the online retailers like Misguided and a little thing, even though their, their product isn't like incredible quality, um, it's kind of shining a light on, on the UK because, we are leaders in this kind of, you know, New York is very much about streetwear and street style, but London is very, like, eccentric in what we produce. And I think that's still um, being, like, kind of projected around the world. And also people like Victoria Beckham, who has just celebrated her 10-year anniversary in fashion, she chose to come back to London. I think, personally, she should have always shown in London, but she was showing in New York. And I think those are the kind of um, pieces that we um, as a as a nation kind of get projected onto the world so she comes back here and everyone talks about it but that's um, isn't that a great it's a great metaphor for the fashion industry though isn't it victoria beckham because here's a woman who hasn't made uh, a real sort of success financially of the business she's very high profile i'm sure she's very good for the fashion business very good for britain's exporting business but her company doesn't make any money well, it, that's what's being reported. But apparently, um, she she was she's kind of is on a loss of four thousand pounds a day. But apparently, that is very common in fashion, the fashion world. And um, these huge designers, um, they don't make huge amounts of money. They they make money on um, perfume and um, bags and accessories. But actually, the ready-to-wear clothes don't really sell that well. So apparently, it, it happens a lot. Yeah, well, um, you wouldn't call that a fashion success, would you? If people aren't wearing it. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. Like Michael Kors, for instance, is the first um, fashion billionaire because he sells loads of bags yeah. to people who are a bit stupid. So, well, um, I mean, that's a bit harsh. You've uh, now just castigated everyone with a Michael Kors bag. <laughs> I think everyone on the tube had one this morning. <laughs> but I mean, that, but that's what I mean. Like, you can't. Um, it's, so, it, it's, so, it's such an objective thing. Like, yes, Michael Kors is a billionaire, but his ready-to-wear stuff doesn't sell. It's his bags and his watches. Yeah. Victoria Beckham is a success in far as, uh, you know, she she actually is making a big turnover, but the profits aren't great. But that is, you know, 10 years is still relatively new for a fashion business, considering the first two or three years in her business weren't that great design-wise. Haven't you just proven like a point, though, about fashion? And we're going to run out of time soon, but, you know, that's quite a snobby kind of thing to say about people that will spend £150, £200 on a Michael Kors bag. Um, this This industry is quite elitist and snobby, isn't it? I think the um, the world of uh, yeah, I mean the high the, uh, yeah, it is the high fashion world is quite snobby and elitist. But I do think um, that it's reined back when when they're designers who are producing kind of like sublines for their main line. It it, uh, it means that people can tap into like an entry level price. 
and um, I think people uh, they, they, they love that. Like Versace has that, you know, they've got versus Versace, which is a lot cheaper than the main line. There's a lot of that going on, and I think that's when people like it because they can tap into like um, a designer and not pay over the odds for it. And yeah. also, like obviously, people like H and M. Um, is a high street giant who collaborates with massive designers and who do a really, really good job at it. And that, that's when people can like, actually buy um, can designer stuff on high street prices. I think that's an amazing idea. Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, Simon, thanks very much indeed. Simon Glazing there, uh, fashion expert, telling us about fashion. Well, I can tell you, just to prove uh, that I'm even more in touch with the fashion world than you ever knew, uh, high heels are apparently out this season and it's all about fitted and knitted. <laughs> right? Just the, way, just the way you say it makes What's you wrong crack with that? up. Why? You're just you're fashion guru, Mike Graham. <laughs> Listen, I'm a man, man of many parts, as I told you. So don't wear high heels and get yourself a knitted dress and you'll be uh, all the rage itchy. this season. You'll be itchy. You'll be itchy as well. Uh, let's go to the phones. Mark uh, is in Castleford. Hello, Mark. Hi, Mark. Morning, mate. I'm Morning. This afternoon, Mike. Afternoon, Curtis. Hello. How, How are you doing? doing? I'm fine, fine today. Just enjoying the show. I was just ringing about the... You were discussing about an hour ago about credit cards. Yes. And, yeah, I just rang in to say, if, you, if you're careful, you can use them to your advantage. Yeah. I'm just awaiting, uh, just waiting for it to drop. Now, I've done a, one of these balance transfers. I've, I've done a few in the past. Oh, is this so that you move um, away from one that's charging you interest yeah. to one that's not? Yes. Right. But you have to be, how shall I say, you've got to be very grown up about it. Right. The, you know, the, the, I mean, basically, you get them, transfer your money across, and then what you must do, set up your direct debit, which is often less than the interest you're paying, and then cut your card up. Throw it away and don't use the card, because I think for some people it's a little bit like the the prob of the Pandora's box. If you don't do that, the card's always there, sort of winking at you and thinking, "Well, you could just use this," you know. But that's what we were discussing yeah. earlier, weren't we? About do you think it's about your financial, not just ability, but your personality? You've obviously got the right personality to be able to cope with this. Many people don't. Yeah, I, I mean, I must have lived in Yorkshire too long. I think <laughs> that's the problem. And do you <laughs> find? Think... Sorry, go on. So, sorry, Mike. No, I, I was just going to say, I think that was the next point I was coming on to make, was that it, it, what Katie said about schools having some responsibility in this, I think parents do as well, mm. you know, to kind of explain to your kids, look, these things can be a benefit. So either like anything in life, you know, there's some really good points about them, but there's some quite bad points about them. And you do see, and Katie was so right, you look around and I look around and I think there's a lot of people spending a lot of credit at the moment because... Times are meant to be hard, and the, the, the um, if you look at the average wage that people take home, and yet you look at the, what they're consuming, and you you know you kind of you don't have yeah. to be. A, well, look at um, what they're buying. I mean, if you'd said to me, Mark, twenty years ago, uh, don't worry, uh, you're going to be buying a handheld mobile phone, uh, and it's going to cost you thirteen hundred pounds, you'd go, what? Have you gone mad? Yeah. You know, but they're all buying them. I mean, and that's that's the thing. I mean, that's. I mean, what it is, it, it's the education whereby it's very easy because the, the people say, oh, it's only it's only £40 a month. Yeah. And it, oh, but by the way, it's a three-year contract and then start to add it up. And that that's part of the problem is that everything now you can, because you can do it online, because it is cashless, you can quite easily, if you've got an Amazon account, eBay, all of a sudden you can get all these consumer durables and it's as if you don't pay for them. And I think that's... You know, we were brought up in a generation, I was, Mike, like yourself, where cash was still used and you still understood it. It, was a, it wasn't a virtual entity like it is now. It was something quite hard. You know, I can remember getting paid every week on a Thursday in cash. And that, that 
had an effect on what you could spend. But nowadays, you look at people and you think, yeah, if you got paid every week in cash, you wouldn't be able to. <laughs> That's so true. But I, I always find it when you get couples, you get sometimes you get, if you get two of them that are bad as each other, then it's game over. You know, it's about to, you're about to get your flat repossessed type scenario. Yeah. But you have to get one that's really good and one that's not so good. Then the one kind of takes control and gives them an allowance. And I always <laughs> used to laugh at guys that used to be given an allowance by their other halves. But... They wouldn't have a roof over their head if it wasn't for that kind I of I think you're being a bit unnecessarily sexist here. I mean, in my experience, it's the women that spend all the money. No, 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 <laughs> to be no, honest. no, no. It's the women that want all the nice things around the house, oh, so yeah. they're willing to they're willing to keep the me- the man's money from him. I see. So you know, give him an allowance. <laughs> Good luck but, with that. You know, it's an acceptance. I think it's just being honest in life and acceptance that you know I need some control or help with my spending. Otherwise, it will go out of control. Mm. And it's great that I'm with someone else that that has got that control. But, you I know. think ego, play, ego plays some part in it as well. You, people do have to be careful if they have got that slightly egotistical streak in them, whereby they see someone with a new car yeah. or a bigger house. That can be a drive. That can be a very dangerous driver if you can get. You know, I hate these adverts. They're kind of intimating it's free money. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it just it isn't free. I know no. a friend of mine no. said to me, you know, I can't believe you drive a Volvo, Katie. You know, you earn enough money to, to buy to upgrade from a Volvo, and I'm like, I like my Volvo. There's nothing wrong with Volvo, Go away. By the way. You know, and there is that kind of constant pressure, which is, well, surely, you know, I should be able to carry on Strong climbing and stable up, car, climb, though, <laughs> climb up huh? the ladder, and and, and have better things all the time. Case, but if any. If any of my friends had said that to me, they wouldn't be my friend. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Very yeah. good point. It's like you know. I mean, I mean that. Well, have you got a Volvo as well? No, I haven't. <laughs> there you go. You uh, see. We've got. <laughs> what do you got? We've, we've got. A, I can't drive actually, but we've got a Peugeot. A Peugeot. <laughs> see, that's yeah. right. Otherwise known as a Vauxhall. Uh, they just bought yeah. them. I should have known. Ah. Now, let me. One last question, Mark. How much do you reckon you save by by switching your money? Because it's ton, it's kind of not money that you would really spend if you if you kept. The, the credit card with the interest payment, but presumably you've worked out that there's a financial gain for you to do this. Yeah, it, I mean, it depends on how much you transfer across and yeah. how, um, it, I think it depends on what your credit rating is as well. Yeah. You know, we can we can easily save £50 a month easily, but we're not. I'm not talking big figures yeah. at all, right. you know. But if you had a lot on it, you could save far, much, much more than that, but you, you've got to be really disciplined. But you also, you've still got to pay it off, haven't you? Oh, yeah, and and that's, that's the... Um, and that's the the thing that you must factor in. Yeah. You say, well, I'm going to pay it off. It will take longer. I will have to do this a couple of times, and I won't spend any money on the card. And if you do that, then over the three years, say, you, and you calculate the interest payments, then you could be saving yourself. Well, you will be saving yourself hundreds, and some people save themselves thousands of pounds. But I've got to emphasise, you've got to cut that card yeah. up and not spend it. No, exactly Don't be right. tempted. Mark, thanks very much indeed. I love you. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, I'm not married and neither is Katie. Um, and luckily for you, we're not marrying each other, are we? Not That's today. not the reason for not this particular anyway. piece of music. Um, you might get married at some point, though. Oh, yes. You might do. Um, yes, I might get remarried. You never know. Uh, but we're going to talk now to a luxury wedding and event planner. Uh, it's Mark Nimieko, uh, because there's a terrible story in the papers about this bridezilla, which is a new word that's kind of come into the lexicon. Uh, she's demanding the best man at her wedding be replaced by a rich single, uh, and she's cancelling the groom's kind of um, stag party uh, so he doesn't meet any other girls. <laughs> 
I mean, do you think at any point this guy might be reconsidering the marriage? Run, my friend. Run. Run for the hills. Get out of there. Uh, Mark, a very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mark. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Yeah, very well. Now, it seems to be a bit of a thing, this bridezilla business. Are they all trying to outdo each other? I was reading one the other day uh, who was refusing to invite people to their wedding unless they paid uh, sort of substantial amounts of money, thousands of pounds, to come to it. I read that as well. Yeah. What's going on? I think overall, I think with a wedding, there is an immense amount of pressure. Mm. Um, And Pinterest also, I think, helps play in that, with brides getting obsessed with what they're doing and whatnot. And um, I think um, it is an event in life unlike any other in the sense that you'll have a lot of people together that won't necessarily be in that same room from, you know, you and your partners uh, in your lives, family, friends. Yeah. Potentially won't all be together. And regretfully, I'm, uh, the only other event that I'll probably all get together is your funeral. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, the other thing, without wishing to be unkind, is it's the only time for a lot of people uh, when they're the centre of attention. Exactly. In their life, only time in their life. Yeah, and unless you're a massive Hollywood actress, you're never going to wear a big dress like that unless no. you're going to the Oscars. So, right. of course, there's a lot of pressure. And I, I'm very fortunate. I only really kind of do the top end. And um, with my brides, um, if I sense at the very early stages that they're a little bit bridezilla-ish, yeah. you know, for, forget the whole, which obviously we're talking about, the whole aspect of how brides can become with yeah. family and friends. But more so on our side, with, with the suppliers, the venues that we work with, if I sense her being a little bit rude or anything, I always mm. kind of pull them aside and say, hey, the reason you've hired me, aside from delivering a good wedding, is you're going to play good cop and I'm the bad cop. Yeah. I'll be the bridezilla on your behalf. Yes. Right. Um, and you'll actually get more out of your wedding day from that aspect. And I think the same with um, you know, family and friends. And I encourage my brides that effectively you are, and remind them, as much as the day is about you and celebrating you, you, you and your partner's love, you are effectively a host. It's like throwing a dinner party or something mm. else. You're effectively inviting people to something and you're hosting an event for them um, and you've got to be very gracious with that. Um, well, I'm also, bizarrely, feel the pressure and the bridezillas, if you want, are on the other side. Bridesmaids, I've yet to ever meet a bridesmaid without an agenda of her own. Um, <laughs> when you say an agenda, you mean uh, oh, she'd be looking for the opinion. rich single? Oh, and they, yes. And they've all got the, no, but they've all got their own opinion of how the wedding should be, how the wedding should be. Yeah. They kind of want to be the planner. Um, mothers, mothers of the groom, typically, I'm very lucky. I haven't had too many bad ones, but actually if I've had a bad mother, it's always been the mother of the groom. I right. think it's that whole mother-son uh, relationship. No one's good enough for their little right. boy. Right. Um, but I think the way to appease it is just to remind yourself about why you're doing this and celebrating it. And I think, you know, even dealing with the budgets that I deal with, obviously it's all very relative, I feel. And if, you, if you're a multimillionaire, then of course you're going to spend a, you know, hundreds of thousands on your wedding day. But you're seeing people try to compete with mm. those hundreds of thousands. The, the, the weddings they see in Hello Magazine and all of that and, you know, in the press, it's like just be yourself. You know, go and get married in the pub and, and don't put this pressure on family and friends. But... What's the yes. worst case of bridezilla you've ever come across, Mark, I, in your whole time? Have you had to okay. walk out on so, anyone? Yeah, there's one bride that we were very... I mean, I'm not going to lie, we just we didn't do a wedding this weekend, we did a party, and I always, for about a week after an event, I have post-wedding blues. I have a little bit of depression for about a week because uh-huh. I miss them. There's definitely one bride that we were, we were literally... I mean, we were cheering as soon as she walked up the aisle because <laughs> we were so close to getting rid of her. She was so vile and so rude to all of us. But to give you an idea, when I arrived on the wedding day and went up to the, the, the suite, they were in the hotel suite getting hair and makeup, the, one of her bridesmaids, her best friend, opened the door and she went, 
she hugged me and said, I'm so sorry what you've had to deal with. <laughs> I can only imagine. And she was just, she overly thought it and she overly planned it and she just didn't listen to my advice throughout. I said, look, things will be, obviously we are going to plan this and we're going to be like, you know, military operation, but there's certain things, the best things that happen at weddings sometimes are the spontaneous moments, you know, spontaneous speech, somebody's grabbed the mic, you know, whatever. Been a great dad dancing. Yes. Those are the things, you know, you see these brides panicking about, oh, my fiancé, he's the worst dancer, we need lessons. No, let him dance the first dance appallingly. That's right. him, be yourself. But anyway, this bride, she, um, the worst moment of her wedding, there was quite a lot. Like, nothing went wrong from my point of view, but from her, she just, you could tell the guests just didn't want to be there at all. Listen, she sounds like the kind of girl that the groom doesn't even want to be there. <laughs> I mean, that must be the case. I mean, there must be, I mean, maybe it hasn't happened to you yet, Mark, but there must be cases where, you know, the bridezilla will be so appalling that the bloke just doesn't turn up well, or we just decides to that, leave. I've heard many stories. We had, um, well, funny enough, I have done one wedding where um, it was his first wedding, but he was engaged two years before. I knew about this because... What, I, to was, somebody else? Well, I he was best friends with one of my brides, oh, so okay. and that's how I got his his job when uh, got the job. But prior to that, he was having another plan of do his wedding two years before, and she'd logged into his email and he was chatting to an old friend who oh, happened yeah. to be female, and it was a week before, Oops. and it was a massive wedding, huge budget, and he just said, "No, I'm not marrying you." What? Because she, she tapped was, into his email. Because she started going on, well, yeah, why are you first of all looking at my email if you haven't, if you haven't got that trust? Yeah. But more so, why are you even quizzing that message, those messages? There's nothing going on. I'm having a little chat with someone. There was nothing sexual. There was nothing, you know. Yeah. There's no, forget it. So he just called it off. And I mean, there was, there, he, he was paying for everyone's flights to get out. I can't remember where it was in Italy somewhere, I think. But hotels, Ouch. it was all cancelled. Blimey. Oh, no. So I know that, but that wasn't one of, but obviously I did his wedding to another fabulous uh, lady uh, a few years down the line but um, I knew that yeah he was engaged prior to that to if you ever get any cancelled weddings you know that you need someone to fill the slot last minute yeah well, for then, cheap if a cheap yeah then, you your know woman. I'm your woman she's most your woman. definitely <laughs> she's always looking for a cheap deal on anything a cheap deal a good party yeah. well I have always said that I said look if, you know if something in the marking back up cheap and nasty that's Katie <laughs> I think, I think I've, like with him for example if that were me, I'd still fly all my friends out and family. So would I. Yeah, I'd just say, you know what, we're going to have a great time. for a party. Yeah. That did happen to somebody have here, a actually. Party. Mark, thanks very much indeed. We've got to run. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.